0: Today's sermon will be from Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17, and today's scripture reader reader is Selena Velez. Good morning. morning. Let's get into the word. Colossians 3, 5 to 17, not 7. Hmm. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self." You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, Gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This has been the word of the Lord.
1: Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, thank you. Thank you for the grace you have shown us that makes us yours. That we who, as we sang earlier, were indeed once strangers chasing selfish dreams are now one through grace alone. Would you help us, even in these moments today, to experience the unity that Christ purchased for us through his death on the cross? And that you would make us more and more into your people, the people that you have called us to be, whose main thing is that we belong to Christ. And so would you use your word, would you help me to say words that will be helpful and building up and help me not to say words that won't help each one listening that we would be attentive that we would be eager that we'd be on the edge of our seats wanting to hear of christ who he is what he's done for us and what difference that should make in our lives so god would you work on us by your spirit and then as we go out from here would you work through us for your glory We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You do what you do because you are what you are. Have you heard that one before? Right, so biblically speaking, Jesus would use illustrations about pigs or about trees James would follow on with ones like those as well, right? From a good tree comes good fruit. A bad tree comes bad fruit. And examples of that are like, you know, you have, and and these aren't necessarily good trees or bad trees, right? But you don't get figs from apple trees, right? They are what they are. They're trees, but an apple tree will never produce figs no matter how much inside its heart it wants to, right? It's impossible, And Jesus uses that, James following him uses that to say we are what we are, and that's why we do what we do. And this text is an interesting twist on this, because we are who we are because of the grace of Christ, and we do not yet completely live in conformity to who we are and so you'll see as we work through the text, this, this is who you are, so act like who you are. You've already done this, so do it. You're like, wait, so did we already do it? <laughs> or are we supposed to do it now? It's like, this is what has happened for you in Christ. This is who you are. And so act like who you are. We must become what we are in Christ. Christ. And so the big idea this morning from this text that Selena read for us is this. Jesus gospel must be the ground. And Jesus glory must be the goal of everything we do and say. Jesus gospel must be the ground and Jesus glory must be the goal of everything We do and say. And so what we're going to do for the rest of the sermon is kind of unpack that thought. That we, by God's grace, are called to act like who we are. That we are in our actions, our thoughts, and words, and deeds increasingly to become who we already are in Christ. So let's start with considering Jesus' gospel as the ground of everything we do and say. What does it mean that Jesus' gospel must be the ground of everything we do and say? Well, what we see Paul say from this text is that we must practically live out our position in Christ. There were multiple references to the old self and the new self. There was an old self, who we were in Adam. And there's a new self, who we are, individually and collectively, in Christ. And so it's already true that we have put off. Look at verse 9. We'll see this. In one of the kind of quick commands, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So don't lie. Why? Because you've already put off the old self and you've already put on the new. That happened when we died and were raised with Christ. And so there's a sense in which it's already done. You have put off the old self. You have put on the new self. It has already happened. But then you have commands, like the imperatives here, the what we've got to do Verse 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Or in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. It is we're putting off things and then he's going to say in verse 12, put on, right? Put on then as God's chosen ones. And then a couple of verses later, above all these, put on love. If, wait a minute, if we've already done it, why is he telling us to do it. Is it past or is it now? And the answer is yes. It's past. It's happened objectively, positionally. This is what is true. If you are in Christ, this is true of you and it's what will be true of you in eternity. He's saying since this is true of you, put off and put on. Since it's already been put off, And put on that old self and put on the new self. Put on the actions that go with your reality. It's already true, but we live out what is true of us. Other ways to think about how the gospel is the ground, even that first therefore back in verse 5. It's put to death therefore, and it's like, well, what's it pointing to? What we've already seen in Colossians, what Paul has already written to this church. And most recently in Colossians, it was set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above, seek the things above, not the things above. On the earth, we're like, well, what does that mean, right? It's like, is it harps and angels and clouds and all that? That's what's above, and then the earth is just the regular stuff we do? No, what's above is the character, the characteristics of the new age, the heavenly age, the day that we're looking forward to when heaven and earth are one as the new Jerusalem comes down from God out of heaven, and we live together with God and all his people in the new heavens, and the new earth what that age will be like that's what we want to live now because we are now citizens of that heavenly age so heavenly isn't about what's in the sky now and looking up it's about who we will be in that age when heaven and earth are one so then what does it mean for earthly, right? It's not just what we do. It's like, okay, well, eating, right? That's, that's an earthly thing. It's just a thing that we have to do. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not it. And he's going to make that clear in this passage today, right? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And what is it? It's not about the regular stuff we do. It's about the wrong stuff we do related to our bodies and our hearts and our Mouths. So he's going to tell us to put some things to death, to put off some things. says, that's what you used to do because of who you used to be. But now you are in Christ. And we see that kind of really highlighted in verse 11. Here, that is in Christ. There is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. That is where we live. Right? You might think, well, I live in this place, or I live in this, and you're like, I live in a row home, or I live in a twin, or I live in a single, or I live in an apartment, or I live, it's like, sure, that's all true, but where you live is Christ. Christ is all. And so all those other identity markers, as Eric shared with us earlier, like wherever we're from, whatever our background is, whatever we look like, whatever family we're a part of, it doesn't mean those things aren't important. It doesn't mean they don't matter. But it means that in Christ, we have a new family. We're citizens of a new nation. And it's not America. We're citizens of of a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly kingdom that one day will be seen in its fullness here on earth. So we put things off because now Christ is all. So the gospel is the ground of what we put off because we used to be that, but now we're not, and so we shouldn't live the way we used to be. But it's also the ground of what we put on. Just hear some of these words and let them wash over your heart. Before you hear the commands, hear the gospel. Verse 12, put on then. And it's going to be okay, we've got to put these things on. But what do we put them on as? As God's chosen ones. Holy and beloved. Some of us, our hearts tend to key on the commands. Tell me what I need to do. Oh man, I'm not doing it. And we'll get to the commands and we'll talk about that and what to do and and what to do about not being able to do it. But before we hear the commands, hear the word of God that says you are chosen. Not because you're good at obeying, but because of Christ. Holy, dearly loved, deeply loved. For those who are in Christ, That is your story. And we might think, yeah, I mean, I see how other people, but not me. If you really knew what I was like, you wouldn't try to tell me that I'm chosen. You wouldn't try to tell me that God loves me. But who did Christ come to save? Was it the good people? Was it the people who pretty much have it together and go to church a lot and even give in the offering? Was it for them? He came for sinners it's only those who know they don't belong (laughs) who get in right when two men went to pray at the temple and one of them was saying oh god i give this and i give that and i've done this and i keep your law and i'm so good and i'm so glad i can be here worshiping you today and i'm really glad i'm not like that other guy who's here because he's uh, one of those people that's not good And then the other guy takes his turn to pray, the tax collector, who would have been looked down on and despised and had been doing lots of things that were worthy of being looked down on and despised over. And what was his prayer? God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Jesus says only one of those two went back to his house right with God. And it's clear that it was not the guy who was praying all about how proud of himself that he was for his performance. That tax collector, the worst, was chosen Holy, in Christ, not in himself, in Christ. Deeply loved, not for anything in him, but because God loved him. In Ephesians 2, in that passage that reminds us that we were all sons of disobedience. We were all children of disobedience, going our own way and following Satan, who is the power of this world. And we were doing our own thing and living in sin and rebellion against God. What are the words of the gospel that come to us there in Ephesians 2, 4? But God, who is rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him. That love was before you were worthy. And and we're still not. (laughs) Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And it's we who have sinned, who have rebelled, who have heard his commands and said, I'll go my own way, who he calls chosen, holy, and loved. Another reminder of the gospel is in the command to forgive, which we see in verse 13. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What's the ground of these commands? The gospel. What do we get in the gospel? Among other things, we get free and full forgiveness because Jesus paid the full price for all our sins. Every one of them, every thought, every covetous moment where we want what we ought not want, every moment where we act on that and go to get what we ought not be grabbing for, fully forgiven in Christ because He paid the price. The call to let the peace of Christ rule is a peace that's purchased by Christ. When we think of peace of Christ, we can think like, okay, yeah, I have peace with God because of Christ, and that's certainly true, but in this context with all these commands that are about how we relate to one another, it's that there should be peace that's because of Christ and only through Christ that's experienced between us. It says, to which, to that peace you were called in one body. How did that happen? Through the gospel. It's not that one day we all woke up and decided, you know what, I'm going to try to get together with a lot of people who are from different places and different backgrounds and different financial standings and different ethnicities. And we're going to get together and we're just going to make this really cool group because it's going to be so easy for us all to get along. Because we're all going to get each other the first time. And it's just going to be this really cool club. I don't know what I'm going to call it, but it's going to be neat. That's not what happened. And we can see from the kinds of clubs that end up being (laughs) formed all over, that's not how it works, right? We end up creating affinity clubs, right? It's like you have to really like bowling to be in this club, right? You have to really like the Eagles to be in that club, or you have to really like knitting or whatever it is. We have something so much better than a club where we decide to get along for a while. We're called to peace because we have been called to one body. We are all members of the body of Christ himself. Jesus' body ought not be at war with itself. Just like we want with our own bodies. <laughs> Right? It's like, no, let's, let's, I'm, I'm doing this and attacking different parts of your body. It doesn't even make sense. And that's why cancer is so horrible. Because it's, in many ways, your body attacking itself. We're called to peace. But it's not peace that we've decided on. It's not peace that we've come together to make. It's peace that has been made through Christ through the blood of his cross that is why we have peace and that becomes the ground that gospel becomes the ground of why we pursue peace and why there is the command let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts it's because he's called us to it because we are his and because we are his we belong to one another It's also embedded in the command to be thankful or to do this with thankfulness or in the last verse, giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. Why ought we to be thankful to God? Well, we belong to Christ by grace. Hell is not our destination. Instead, life with God and all his people is. So we put all these things on because of the gospel. Because of what God has done for us through Jesus. And so these commands, you might go like, but it's hard for me to be patient. It's like, "Mm mm-hmm. It's hard to be kind. I mean, I try and I start and then the other person is Yeah, I get it. It's always the other person's fault. That's true for me uh, too. We can put off and put on. We don't just have to read what we're gonna work through here and go, oh well, good thing Jesus. We can put off and put on. Why? Because we have died. Because we have been raised. Because we are now alive and because we will one day be revealed with Christ in glory. That's why. Not because of us, but because of Christ and what he has done for us. Because God has chosen Loved, forgiven, and made us holy in Christ. Since Christ is all and in all, we are one. Since Christ has died and been raised, we have died and been raised with him. We are alive. And so we begin to do what we ought to do because we are alive in Christ. We begin to forgive because we are forgiven. We begin to love because we are loved. Christ is all and in all, and we are one. That's the ground of all this putting off and putting on. The gospel must be the ground of everything that we do and say. And now let's look at some of those specifics of the everything we do and say. What is he talking about here in these verses? So he's grounding all this in the gospel who Christ is, what he has done for us, who we are because of what he has done. What ought we to look like? Well, he begins with the put off, and he starts with actually put to death. And that's what it means it's serious. So in an older generation, it's still a good word, though it's not a word we use every day. We talk about mortifying sin, the doctrine of mortification, like mortification. I don't, uh. The idea is we want to kill sin, and it comes from this text, put to death, right? It's not make a deal. It's not like, oh, okay, we're, we're kinda, we'll call a truce and keep a little distance from each other, but when I need you later... We'll call you back over. It's kill. End. Put to death what? Put to death, therefore, on the ground of the gospel, put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And so this is speaking of the body and its sinful desires. These words are hard to distinguish and the point isn't necessarily to be able to distinguish them. Sexual immorality is a very broad term that in in ways would cover all the rest. Impurity can refer to any kind of moral corruption. Passion and evil desires are related to just that. Desires that are wrong, that are out of line. And there's a way in which covetousness connects to all of them. Right? We don't often necessarily immediately connect covetousness and sexual immorality, but the Bible does, uh, even in the, the Ten Commandments. Right, It's don't covet. And one of the things you're not supposed to covet is your neighbor's wife or anything that is your neighbor's. And so evil desires, and that's where all of a sudden we're convicted, right? Because did anyone live this week without an evil desire? Without a desire for something you know you should not look at, but it's like, but I just really, really want to. It's like, I shouldn't want that thing. It's not good for me. It's not what will help me go nearer to Christ, but it just feels really good, and I kind of deserve it. I know none of you would think that way. I'm just kind of confessing my sins, all right? But don't we do that? It's on account of these, verse 6 tells us, that the wrath of God is coming. It's one of the reasons that we need to kill our sin. It's one of the reasons that John Owen would say, be killing sin or it will be killing you. We belong to Christ. We have put off the old self with its practices. And the old self includes these desires, this moral Corruption, looking at what we ought not look at. It's grounded in the gospel. We're God's people. We're Christ's people. Christ is in us. So I, Paul, make the connections with the Corinthians. So when you're doing things you ought not to do with your body, you're doing those with Christ in you. It doesn't feel like he's there in that moment, but he is. When you're watching what you know in your conscience you ought not to watch, Christ is there. He is in you, he is with you, and he is grieved. This is serious stuff. And it demands a serious response. What's the command related to these? Put to death. It calls to mind Jesus' call for extreme measures, right? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now please don't. But how might we apply that, right? What would it mean to put to death? If you have a problem, with going to places where you know you can be private and lock the door and then you get a device and you can watch what you want when you know no one else will see. What would putting it to death look like? Maybe leaving the device outside that room. Oh, now you're making rules. You told us just two weeks ago we're not supposed to submit to man-made rules. I'm not making that a rule. I'm not making it for all of us. Right? That's part of what we talked about in that. We're free in Christ to live for Christ. And so we don't make rules for everyone to follow. But if that is a struggle for you, and if it's struggles not even the right word because you're not even struggling, you're just giving in over and over again, and you're in Christ, put it to death. And a way that might help you put it to death is to keep yourself away from the place of temptation. It's tough when we're right in the middle of making a way for our sin to say, Lord, help me. I really don't want to go there this time. It's like, like, are you sure about that? Am I sure about that? And so maybe leave the device on the outside, or maybe find other ways. It's like, how do I separate myself from the place? Now, it's not that room's fault. It's not even the device's fault, right? It's what our heart wants. But one practical way we can try to put our sin to death is to remove ourselves from situations where there's nothing good that's happening there. Put to death what is earthly in you and what he means by earthly there is sexual immorality sins of the body sins of desire wanting what is not ours wanting what we ought not to have which is idolatry right that's what covetousness ultimately is yeah, well it's just i just stumbled for a minute i just and i just you know if i if i win the lottery i'll give you know a bunch of it to the church Because I'll be comfortable enough to start giving then. (laughs) We'll never be comfortable enough, right? Because covetousness, when it gets a little of what it wants, that's not the end, right? And we know that from our own lives, right? It's like that thing we want, it's like, I got to have it. And it's like, okay, well, now I got to have the next thing of whatever it is, whether it's money, uh, sinful sexual desires, or anything else. When we covet, when we attain it, it's not satisfied. It only grows. And it's idolatry. When we're desperate to get what we want, we're taking Christ off his throne and saying, you don't belong there. There's something else that is more important. So idolatry there is not like, and then after they do all that, they'll go home and bow down to their idols. No, it's not that. It's when we are putting something in the place of Christ his value and who he is and acting like something else will satisfy again he says in verse seven and these two you once walked this used to be you this used to be just your way of life when you were living in them but now because we're in christ it's time to put them all away and what's the next group? Verse eight, look, look back at that one. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So these again are sins of the heart, but mainly the emphasis here is where they show up in our words, in our actions, in community, right? Anger doesn't usually stay with just you is taken out on other people. And again, the point isn't so much to be like, well, I I struggle with uh, anger, but definitely not wrath. It's like, no, it's like they're they're so close. He's just kind of piling them up. It's more to like not let any of us off the hook than it is to figure out exactly which one I have a problem with. And of course, he's speaking here of sinful anger, right? It calls to mind, again, the words of James, in James 1, that the, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And there are times you think, you know, this is the right, I'm gonna, boy, and they deserve it. I'm gonna let it out. And, then, and things will get better, because I'll, if, especially for parents, I'll scare them into doing what they ought to do, and then everything will be fine. but we want to do Jesus things in a Jesus way. So we're to put to death the body and its sinful desires. We're to put away sins of our speech, sins of heart, anger, wrath, malice. That's intent to harm, intent to hurt. And one of the ways we do that is with our words, slander, right? Telling stories about other people to have them be brought a little lower and usually for us to be just a little bit higher in the estimation of the person that we're talking to. It says, put them all away. That used to be the way when you walked in your sinful desires, when you needed that for status and security, but now we have Christ, We do not have to run others down and put ourselves up. The worst has been said about each one of us at the cross. And we have been forgiven. An obscene talk, and that's kind of what it sounds like. Blasphemy, filthy speech, coarse language. He goes on in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Again, sins of the tongue. Why don't we lie to each other? Because we put off the old self with its practices. We're part of a new self. And others are included in that new self, in Christ. The way Paul puts it in Ephesians when he's speaking of lying, he says, don't lie to one another because we are members one of another. What advantage is it to lie to someone else who is in Christ? Christ. Do not lie. Big ones or little ones. Right, again, it's like, well, I know people who do bad ones, you know, but um, it's just these little it's just the, it wasn't that important. I didn't want them to like, I'm, I, it doesn't say here, and it also doesn't say in the Greek. <laughs> Don't lie, except in those cases where you know it's OK. That's not in there. And that's why it doesn't show up in the English either. It's for all of us all the time. So we're to put to death. We're to put off. But then we're to put on. And these often go together. Usually if we're not putting things off, we're not going to be putting on the things that God has for us either. Verse 12 Put on then, again on that ground of the gospel, because Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, what are we to put on? Compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Hearts of love. Kindness, gentleness. That's the idea of meekness. Humility, like Christ. And this is not about hurting ourselves like I'm so humble or talking bad about ourselves or doing things to harm ourselves. That's very clear from the context here in Colossians where he's saying they're, they're insisting on asceticism and severity to the body. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about hurting ourselves. He's talking about how we relate to others like Christ. Right? When he came to this earth, he wasn't, I'm so great, you're here to serve me. Right, The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then patience. Followed by bearing with one another. The idea of bearing with one another is putting up with each other. And that's, so bearing with sounds, I don't know, it just doesn't sound the same as saying like, you have to put up with each other. And that's part of it. We're not all the same. We don't all come from the same places. We don't all have the same sensibilities. This is true in your in in this church. And there's ways even in the family where it's like, well, we we in, in our earthly families, it's like, well, we all should be the same. It's like, but we we don't tend to want to put up with one another. But in the church, we have even more ways that it's easy to be like, eh, I don't have to put up with that. But that's not what God's word says. It says that we're to put up with one another. We're to be kind, humble, patient, "Hmm It's hard to be kind when everyone else is mean, isn't it? And that's how we can feel, right? You can feel that way driving. You can feel that way almost anywhere. <laughs> You can feel it at home, you can feel it at work, you can feel it at ShopRite, and that's not a knock on ShopRite, that's just where we go. You can feel it everywhere you go, and we fool ourselves into thinking the real problem is that everyone else is a jerk. The real problem is all these other people who are being impatient. Because if they weren't, then they wouldn't be doing that, and it wouldn't have gotten in my way, but of mine is righteous. Right? And we think like, if everybody else would just do what they're supposed to do. Right? That's right. Yes. I know I'm not just talking to or about myself here. I talk with you guys sometimes. But we think that. If everyone else would just do what they were supposed to do, I wouldn't have this problem. I wouldn't be angry. I wouldn't be impatient. I wouldn't be rude. I wouldn't be unkind if everyone else would just do it. I mean, for real, right? How often are we ready to be kind even? Like, I'm going to be kind today. And we're ready until the other person isn't. And then it's like, all right. We're doing that. I know how to do that. (laughs) And we figure it's okay then to do whatever our flesh desires because of what this other person has done to us and how they have wronged us. But that's kind of the way the world does it. Right? The world tends to reflect, to give back to someone what they're giving to you. But we've put off the old self. We've put on the new self. And so rather than merely reflecting the other person's approach by God's grace, because of the gospel, because of who we are in Christ, rather than mirroring back what we receive from them, we must persist in kindness, in gentleness. And humility. That's what patience really is. It's a persistence in kindness and gentleness and humility. It's that it keeps going when we wouldn't have. But we can't blame our lack of patience on others. We can't blame our lack of kindness on our siblings. I know none of you would ever do that or have ever done that if my siblings would just, right? It was like He started it, right? And how often as parents do we become much better counselors than we are to ourselves when we're talking to our children, All right. It's like, I don't care who started it. It's not about the toy. It's about how you love your brother because you're brothers and I want you to love, your, love each other your whole lives and that's what I want for you and that's what Christ wants for you. And that's good. And so kids, you need to take that to heart. And parents who say that to kids, we need to take it to heart for ourselves. That is our story with everyone who is in Christ. And that is still our responsibility even, though, even to those outside of Christ, even though the point of the text here is about our relationships within the body of Christ. Let us, by grace, not merely reflect right? It's like, I'll be kind as long as they are, and once they're not, well, they deserve it anyway, and I, I needed to teach them that lesson. Which leads us on to the next one. We stand in need of forgiveness, and so do other people, because you know what? There are a lot of people with real problems out there, and their problems tend to spill over onto us, and it does happen on the road, and it does happen at the grocery store, and it does happen with the neighbors who live above us or beside us, It does happen. It is real. And so that's never an excuse for our reactions to them. Instead, what it should lead us toward is forgiveness. In verse 13 again, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Forgiving each other. And you say, but they do not deserve it. And that is the point. That's the point. If we only forgave people who deserved it, we'd never forgive anyone. And isn't it good that that's not how Jesus works? (laughs) It's as the Lord has forgiven you. Sometimes we can tend to minimize whatever we do wrong and maximize what the other person does wrong. And we act like, I've, I need to be forgiven like a tiny bit, but I'm basically good and I pretty much got this down, but that person has real problems. When we're acting that way, when we're thinking that way, we're revealing that we have real problems. Because <laughs> we are misunderstanding or we are forgetting God's grace. We are forgetting who we really were. And in many cases, who we really still act like. And forgetting The cost, what Christ paid for us to be welcomed into the arms of God the Father. He says, above all, put on love. That's in verse 14. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It puts it all together. It's not if you have to pick one, pick this one. Love is the one that goes over all of these, right? Love is going to be patient. Love is going to be kind. And it's almost like I'm quoting from 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's like, what is love? And it's like, oh, it's all this stuff. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Oh, it sounds a lot like this. And if you want really long treatments of all of those, we've preached on the fruit of the Spirit earlier this year, and you can go and listen to or watch those sermons. But that's what love is looks like, gentleness, kindness, patience, humility, preferring others before ourselves, looking for how we can serve rather than looking for how we can be served. And that love that we only have because of Christ is what binds us together, holds us together, and it's where we can experience perfect harmony, which leads him to thinking about peace in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The idea here is that peace, the peace that Christ has purchased, is like an umpire. It's the, it's the one who can give a ruling, and you abide by it, and there's no instant replay. <laughs> right? It's like any, it's a, there's no instant replay, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ, the idea then is to let the peace of Christ be the decisive factor in your heart, in your relationships with others who are in Christ. Now, if truth, if the gospel is being compromised, then we never let that go in the name of peace. Peace should be our goal. It's what Christ purchased for us. It's what we're meant to experience with one another. It's letting the goal of peace be what decides what we will say and how we will say it and how we will act when there is conflict. Let the peace of Christ rule. Jesus died for our peace, not for us being right about everything and winning every argument. and then lastly in his in verse 15 and be thankful have a heart of gratitude and Eric's going to be talking to us next week about that so come back next week last few verses let the word of Christ dwell in you richly the word of Christ here most likely means the message about Christ the message about Jesus as the Messiah the gospel Let that good news, the gospel that's supposed to be the ground of all our words and deeds, everything that we do, let that word be what dwells in us richly, particularly as we gather. So yes, you should let the word of Christ dwell in you richly throughout the week, but it's especially what we're supposed to do when we gather as the church. That the good news that we have to share, the message we have, is that though we have sinned, though we have rebelled against God, our creator, he sent his one and only son to live the life that we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve to die, and to rise again on the third day. After having risen, he ascended to his father, and one day he is coming back. He will return. And we, by his grace, through faith in him, Share in his death and in his resurrection life and we will share in his reign. That message must be our message as we gather. If we have any message that's essentially different from that, we've missed it and we shouldn't gather. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And it shows up in a couple ways. Teaching and admonishing one another in all ways. Wisdom. Teaching is kind of the positive side. Here's the truth about Christ. Admonishing leans toward the negative side, right, where you think about where the Colossians are running away or being tempted to go away from Christ, to shift their hope from the gospel. A lot of this letter would fall under admonishment. There's some teaching, here's who Christ is, but it's like, here's why you shouldn't be going away. It's about setting people on the right path, that'd be the teaching, and then calling them back to that right path, to Christ. And everyone has a part to play in this. It's not just you know, oh, teaching and admonishing. That's what pastors do. I'm so glad we have pastors. And I'm so glad we have so many who are so gifted to serve us. All those things are, are true, but never say that in a way that means, and so I don't have to do anything. They'll take care of all the teaching and admonishing in the church, because after all that's their gift. That's not what this says. It's for all of us the same people who are supposed to put off and put on, which is not only pastors, the same people who are in Christ, the same people who are called together into one body, teach and admonish one another. We all have a part to play in sharing the good news of Christ with one another in such a way that we learn who he is and what it means to walk on the path with him. And that when we're starting to walk away from the path, we all have the responsibility to call the brother or sister back, not just a few. And so if you see, and if you know, oh, here's someone who's being tempted, be like, hey Rob, you you really ought to talk to that person. And maybe I ought to, and maybe I will. But you ought to. It's for you. It's for us. We all have a part to play, individually, corporately, and there is reference here to our gathered worship, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, that our gathered worship in our teaching, admonishing, our singing, and throughout our lives is to be centered on the message of Christ and the salvation and the new life that he brings. The gospel must be the ground of all we do and say. And Jesus' glory must be the goal of everything that we do and say because God chose us to be his people. That's amazing grace. (laughs) The same God who chose us to be his people has chosen and called us to live as his people. And so we want people to see our lives and know that there is a Savior and to ask us the reason for the hope that lies within us. And so this last verse, verse 17, kind of caps everything. And everything you do, whatever you do, in word or deed, and that's another way of saying like the everything you do, right? It's like you you either say stuff or you do stuff. It's like everything you do. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our whole lives. When we think about in the name, it's kind of like I don't, I don't even know where this would have been from. It just seems like a general thing from my childhood where you'd see, you see know, someone a, a bad guy's running away and a police officer says, stop in the name of the law. You ever heard that before? I'm the only one. Okay, thank you. I feel better. Right? Stop in the name of the law. It's like, what does that mean? Right? It means that I'm acting on behalf of something that should make it where you should do what I say. Right? It's like, I don't have that authority on my own. When we say stop in the name of the law, we're speaking as a representative. We're speaking on behalf of someone, and we think about in the name of Jesus. Uh, sometimes, especially if you've grown up in church, it's just like, well, you know, we pray in Jesus' name. Like That's how we end our prayers. He said to, he said to do that somewhere, I'm sure, and that's why everyone always closes their prayers with in Jesus' name. So it's words we say, and it's true, it is words we say, and we ought to pray in Jesus' name because Jesus did actually <laughs> command us to do that in his name. But what does it mean? Is it just an addendum to our prayer? When we're done with the real stuff, it's like, ah, ending, right, 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 got it. When we're speaking of doing something in Jesus' name, where he says to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We do what we do as his representatives. We do what we do under his authority. We do what we do reflecting his Character. And it's everything. It's like, whatever you do, word and deed, everything. It's like, again, we're not distinguishing. He's piling up. For us to say, like, everything. Like, literally everything. There's a Christian way to do everything that we do. That is, again, it doesn't mean, like, there's a Christian way to wear shoes. It's with a verse on the back. That's not the point. Though, If you have a verse on the back of your shoe, that's totally fine. There's a Christian way to do everything. And what that means is there's a way to do everything we're doing with and for Christ because we are in Christ, because we have died and been raised with him. And as Christians, growing into who we are, living like who we are, in some ways is as simple and as deep and hard and difficult as that that in every moment, when I'm about to open my mouth, how is this representing Christ? How is this under the authority of Christ? How is this reflecting the character of Christ? What I'm about to say, I ought to be able to say, I'm doing this in the name of Jesus. I think there's a lot of things we say that we wouldn't say if we stop to think I'm saying this in the name and on the authority of my Lord Jesus. And I think there are things that we do. That if we stopped before and said, can I do this in the name of Jesus? We wouldn't do it. And so the call today isn't just like, okay, we heard a sermon, that was a little tough and heavy. Glad that's over, I can go back to my Regularly scheduled programming now. It's for us to take with us, how can I do what I'm doing right now with and for Jesus? Because by his grace, I belong to Jesus. If you're about to do something and you can't think of a Christian way to do it, don't do it. If you're about to say something and you can't think of a Jesus way to say it, Don't say it. And here's the rest of the test giving thanks to God the Father through Christ. So that might check us with certain things that we watch or use for entertainment. Can I thank God for this? Can I thank God for this thing? Can I thank God for this moment? Like, would it make sense after everything we do to like stop and pray and like, thanks God for what you gave us grace to do right now. That's what he wants us to do with all that we do and say. Can I thank God for this? This attitude, this action, this word. And since this is, heavy and we go, I can't do this. It's like, you know, we started with the gospel and yeah, it's the ground. It's like, I don't do this very well. And maybe that's, maybe that's what you're feeling right now. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't do that. I don't do that all the time. I don't do that well. The commands are still there and we want to let them have that weight, put to death, right? So we don't want to hear the message of forgiveness and go like, whoo, good thing, and I can just go out and be free and do whatever I feel like and keep living the same way that I have. That is not the takeaway. But if we're gonna go out with any kind of strength, we need to know that all our sins, even those that you're thinking of right now and going, like, yeah, but that, oh man, oh, oh, oh. Even those Jesus sees and he has given his life for and there is forgiveness And so repent. Come to him again in repentance and faith, saying, God, this is who I've been. I have not been living like someone who could give thanks for the words that I say and the actions that I do. I haven't been, even having as a category, like, I want to do this thing in the name of the Lord Jesus. And confess that. And confess the ways that, even though you know, like, yeah, I want to do that, but boy, I I don't do that very much. Confess that to him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all of it, every last bit. The last words of verse 17 bring us back again to the gospel, giving thanks to God the Father through him, through God. Christ we can only approach God through Christ he's the only way before today and forever and so it's not in trying to keep rules it's not like okay now we know all the rules to keep them we're gonna keep them we haven't done that anyway and we're not going to start doing it perfectly now but we do want to grow We want to grow in having the gospel be the ground of everything we say and do. We want to grow in having the glory of Jesus be the goal of everything we say and do. We must become what we already are. And part of the good news of the gospel is that one day we will completely. And so as much as you feel like, man, I'm falling short, I can't do it, I'm not there yet. You're right, we're not there yet. We will be revealed with him in glory one day. How do we act like who we are? How do we live for Jesus? It's through Jesus. Always Jesus and only Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God, we need your strength We thank you that we have been made alive and that through the gospel we are forgiven. We thank you that through the gospel we are in Christ and have him in us. And you've given us your Holy Spirit. Would you help us this week to keep in mind the glory of Christ? to have the good news that we are forgiven in Christ, we've died with Christ and raised, been raised with Christ, be the ground of all we do and say. And where we stumble and fall, would you help us to stumble back to you in repentance and faith, to be assured of your love, of your forgiveness, and then to turn around and share that love and forgiveness with those who so desperately need it. Would you help us to be able to give it to one another, first of all in the church? And then that that love would overflow to a desperately needy world. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.